Uh, good morning, everybody. Let me lead us in prayer um, before we look at some more of those verses in Psalms 42 and 43 together. Lord, we thank you that your word is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. And we pray as we as we dig into it this morning, as we um, unearth treasures, might they be transformative. Thank you that you speak. Thank you that you love to speak. Speak to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the one of the tensions at the very heart of the Bible, a, a seeming paradox, is that God is powerful and he's in charge and he's sovereign. And so history is on its way somewhere. There is a plan being worked out. It's not random. And yet at the same time, history is complicated and hard, and there are tears. There's frustration and difficulty. There's a, there's a purpose, but there's also pain. And so in one sense, these two Psalms that we've been in the last few weeks, Psalms 42 and 43, um, they portray something of that tension at the heart of the overarching story of the scriptures. We, we see in micro in Psalms 42 and 43, what we see in macro in the whole Bible. For example, in weeks gone by, we've already seen in verse one that, that we were made for a relationship with God. He's not mean and distant and aloof, but he is our loving father in heaven. He's kind. He's gracious. He's he's life giving. He is good. Knowing him is the life that we were made for. And so just as a deer can't survive without water. Well, so we can't survive without him. not seeking to find our life in things or people or situations or circumstances or comfort, but, but in him, in him we find life. And so just as in the rest of the Bible, we see in Psalm 42 and 43 that the pain of our distance from God and the promise of our being with him again forever. Do you see what you see in these Psalms? You see in the whole Bible. And yet in ways that we in the West at least have found quite striking and challenging. Do you remember he's, he's able to lament for a while, to sit in his emotions, to cry out to God in pain and in trust. But then after that lament, his prayer, his petition, Psalm 43 verse 3, is that he would once again be able to worship. Once again, he would find himself at the temple in God's presence. Which means the, psalm, the Psalms end up, send me your light and your faithful care, let them lead me to... Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. And pointing then for us ultimately to the end of the Bible. The resolution at the end of Psalm 43 is something like the resolution at the end of the scriptures, where his people will be with him face to face forever, praising him. And so what we see in micro in these two Psalms, we see in macro in the big picture of the Bible. God is bringing his people again to be with him and there's pain and there's distance for now but actually we can trust him for the future and one of the reasons that he's able to trust is that he remembers who his god is matt's already explained that to the kids and the rest of us in the kids slot he he has a head and a heart full of truth and full of theology so that when it's painful he's He's not knocked, or at least his pain doesn't come from confusion about who God is, but rather why these things are happening. If this is who God is, says the psalmist, 
then then why am I struggling and feeling the way that I am? That's where the pain comes. And so what I want us to do today really is largely to zoom in on two treasures in these Psalms, two um, juxtaposed verses, verse seven and verse eight of 42. And so we're going to spend some time pulling apart some of the theology that underpins these Psalms and say things for us to grip onto and to trust in, even when things are messy. Grab a Bible if you can um, and turn to Psalm 42, verse 7 and verse 8. Psalm 42, verse 7 and verse 8. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So we'll zoom in on verse 7 first, and the thing that we're called to do from verse 7 is to remember God's sovereignty, to remember his sovereignty. And the image he gives is one of the psalmist out in the ocean. He's, he's struggling in the seas. Now, when we were still allowed to this last summer, we were swimming in the sea. A number of us from our family, freezing cold Welsh sea, because one of our kids very much enjoys swimming in the freezing cold Welsh sea. And one afternoon, we, that is he and I, and a few others that we didn't know, got caught in a bit of a riptide. Um, and you know what I mean if it's ever happened to you, but wave after wave keeps coming in again and again, surging and surging. And you try and swim harder and harder and harder and try and get back up to where you've come from. But you go further and further and further down the beach. All the while, your, your energy levels are going down. Your panic levels are going up. And, and really, it's just for a few minutes. But we eventually put our feet down because a sandbank appeared beneath us. But that feeling of being both battered, exhausted, with the waves and the breakers crashing around us, in a sense, is something that the psalmist shares here. Our Korahite, writing this maskal, this, this song to bring wisdom to the people of God. He is feeling battered with waves and breakers, one after the other, crashing towards him. Do you remember the, the far from God? He's in the firing line, the festivals that bring both joy and pain as he looks back and the feeling forgotten as well. These waves and breakers are crashing over him. And yet then in verse seven, one little word, one little word changes our entire perspective. They change how we view these hardships how we perceive these difficulties, because it's not all the waves and breakers. Did you see it in verse seven? It's all your waves and breakers. Now it's interesting because those words, if you cross-reference it, those words, that verse there sounds just like, any ideas? Just like Jonah. Do you remember he's dropping down into the sea deeper and deeper, broken, fearful, and yet humbled and repentant and rescued. And he prays from inside the belly of the great fish. And he says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me and all your waves and breakers swept over me. 
Yeah, maybe we say, well, how? How can God be the author, the sender, the allower of these waves and breakers? Why is it your waves and breakers have swept over me and not the waves and breakers? That hard thing, that struggle, that season, that difficulty. How can the psalmist say your? That's our question, isn't it? That's where the tension lies. I think it's because the psalmist knows there is very little comfort in a world in which God is not sovereign and he's not powerful and he's not in charge. And, and yet at the root of this verse is that conundrum, that paradox that can sit so uncomfortably for us at times. These misfortunes that he feels so keenly in these two psalms all sit under the sovereignty of God. The depths there, that depths word or the deep in some translations. In Hebrew thought, it's an idea of chaos. It's almost of evil forces, of distance from God. And yet even these are tools in the hands of our loving and wise God. It reminds me a bit of the story of, of Joseph in Genesis. Do you remember? He's hated by his brothers nearly murdered by them talk about a dysfunctional family talk about dysfunctional sibling relationships he's sold into slavery in Egypt and then he he languishes for years in prison and those things are bad they are evil they are unjust they are not good they hurt Joseph but then do you remember when God reverses Joseph's fortunes years later Genesis 50 verse 20 we get into we get a glimpse into Joseph's heart into the way that he has processed these events, these hard situations. We, we might expect him to say something like, well, evil overpowered my life for a while. There was a battle and finally, finally God came through. But he doesn't say that. He says to his brothers this, and it's extraordinary. He said, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. Those ingredients, though they were evil, intended as evil by the brothers, were actually intended by God to be used in his good plan. Or, or indeed, of course, the story of the cross. The, the deeds of wicked men were evil, abhorrent, cruel as they conspired against God's son, as they conspired against God's king. And yet they were still within his sovereign plans and purposes, still bringing about such enormous good, good that we are thankful for today as we virtually gather as a church. Because it's there that we find forgiveness. It's there that we know that God truly loves us. It's there that his promises are fulfilled. It's there that our shame is dealt with, our guilt is wiped away. Why would God allow these waves and breakers? Why might God even be sovereignly behind these waves and breakers? Well, because brothers and sisters, he cares more about our conformity to Christ than he cares about our comfort. I'll say that again. I don't say it glibly because I know implications of that for us but he cares more about your conformity to Christ 
than he cares more about your comfort. And so in his sovereign plans and purposes, these dark and difficult times can be a tool in his hands. Which means our perspective of hard times changes. No? What might God be doing in us in this hard time? Because they are his waves and breakers. And he intends them ultimately for our good. Later on in the Bible, James will write this in his letter, and it's easier said than done. Have a listen to what he says. He says, consider it pure joy when we go through trials because the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And waves and breakers and darkness and distance and opposition and feeling like prayers bouncing off the ceiling may well be what he uses for our good to make us more like Jesus. He, can, he, can, he cares more about our conformity to Christ than about our comfort. Some of us, though, find ourselves in between a proverbial rock and a hard place, theologically. If we don't like verses like 42 verse 7 and we say, well, he can't be sovereign. And then these things must be happening outside his control. And yet that makes him out to be puny, a, a mini God. And, and why bother praying? Why bother trusting him? Why bother looking to him for help if he can't really do much anyway? But if he is sovereign, then either in allowing us to suffer, either he's mean. And the Bible won't sanction that. Or else he's got other plans and purposes. Or else there is something else going on. And no doubt there will be all kinds of personal, pastoral, theological questions there. But to say that God is not sovereign is not the answer. It doesn't work. He is sovereign and he is good. So maybe his plan is bigger and better. And maybe he cares more about our conformity to Christ and about our comfort. Slightly different moment in the sermon. I'm going to read a poem to us based on this verse by a lady called Annie Johnson Flint. And as I was preparing this last week or so, I came across it and it was really helpful. Let me read it to us now. The poem is called His Billows, H-I-S, then Billows, B-I-L-L-O-W-S, if you want to look it up later. She writes this, they are God's billows, whether they go over us, hiding his face in smothering spray and foam, or smooth and sparkling, spread a path before us into our haven, bear us, safely home. They are God's billows, whether for our succour he walks across them, stilling all our fear, or to our cry there comes nor aid nor answer, and in the lonely silence none is near. They are God's billows, whether we are toiling through tempest-driven waves that never cease, while deep to deep with clamour loud is calling, or at his word, they hush themselves in peace. 
May our God's billows, whether he divides them, making us walk dry shod where seas had flowed, or lets tumultuous breakers surge about us, rushing unchecked across our only road. They are God's billows and he brings us through them. So has he promised, so his love will do. Keeping and leading and guiding and upholding to his sure harbour he will bring us through. They are his billows, whatever he chooses to do. We can trust, we can remember, we must remember his sovereignty. Second point is that we are to recall his kindnesses. Recall his kindnesses. And this is in verse eight. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. We've already said in previous weeks, this is something of a whiplash psalm. We're back and forth. We're up and down. There are mountains and valleys. And, and verse eight is something of an up coming straight after verse seven. But do you see what he's doing there in verse eight? On the one hand, in these two Psalms, we have 42 verse three, where the psalmist says, my tears have been my food day and night. But then we have 42 verse eight. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. That mix of emotions there, it's almost despite the tears, the daily journaling, the daily remembering of God's goodness, recalling God's kindnesses, genuine, real, practical examples of God's love, of God being with him in, through and despite all that's going on. Daily kindnesses, nighttime prayers, pausing and noting what God has done. Is it daytime then, brothers and sisters, the Lord is directing his love towards you? That's, that's an active thing that he's doing. It's a decision that God has made to do us good. Even though he feels distanced, and the psalmist feels out of sorts, it's as if he presses pause and he remembers the Lord's loving kindness. His steadfast love for that day, his mercies new every morning. It's not just daytime either, it's through the night as well. At night, his song is with me, the psalmist says. I take it the psalmist is singing. What better way, when better to sing to God than through the darkest hours, when our, when our fears can overwhelm us, when our thinking can get muddled, when our anxieties can flourish, when, when sadnesses grow. Perhaps he knows his downheartedness. He knows his soul is out of sorts. And so to preach to himself, to, to choose to have hope, as we thought about last week, he sings. The psalmist sings in the night. Maybe even this is where these two psalms come from. Some say that. Perhaps what we've read over these last few weeks, Psalm 42 and 3, is the nighttime prayer that he penned as he wrestled, is the song that he sang as he struggled, longing for intimacy with the Lord, clinging and fighting for hope with the Lord. Which I think means there's good application for us, isn't there? The importance of even through tears, 42 verse 3, 
seeking to remember God's daily kindnesses. 42 verse 8, of not being overwhelmed by negativity and sadness, but in counting the blessings in remembering his love. Perhaps especially if we're of the more eerie persuasion. Maybe there's a bit of homework, maybe there's a, a notebook to be bought and to write down each day some things to be thankful for, uh, to, cultivate, to cultivate gratitude and thankfulness. It's such an important discipline, especially when it can be, when we can be so good at remembering the opposite. Zooming in on what's hard and what's difficult and what we don't like and the things that we would like to improve and and it's just not fair. And what about this and this and this? And they pile up in our minds and our hearts and we cling on to them and we, we focus in on them. And yet maybe we need to press pause and to deliberately to begin to write down, to think of, to reflect upon his love for us and the things that are good, the, the blessings that we have received each day. And if you're struggling to do that, then why not open up the Bible and read and see the blessings that you have? For example, praise God as you work through Ephesians 1 with Paul. Why not do that this week? As he lists blessing after blessing after blessing for us. As he, as he digs deep into all that we have in and through Christ, as it just pours out of him. And why not with Paul? Do that this week as an opportunity to to remember God's daily kindnesses to you. I think there's another application as well, though, and that is of the importance of singing, especially perhaps singing in the darkness. This was kind of new for me as I was reflecting this last week on this. I was reading one writer on this and they commented um, like this. They said, technically, the psalmist doesn't simply talk to himself. He sings to himself. When he tells himself, this was last week, hope in God for I shall again praise him, he turns to his sunken self, he takes himself by the shoulders and he serenades him with hope. Often sung words fit where said words cannot. I love this. Melodies slip under the doorways of our doubts while said words stand outside knocking. Once sung, the words often stay with us, echoing through the chambers of our minds and our hearts, bringing form to our mayhem, beauty to our bleakness and truth to the logic of our despair. God gave us a book of songs for a reason. Often we need to do more than speak the truth to ourselves. We need to sing it. I love that. We're to be a people who sing. A people with songs in our hearts. As we praise, as we remind ourselves. Because sometimes just truths and facts can remain distant. And yet melodies and songs can change us. So we're to be people who sing to remind ourselves of what is true, to, to help our hearts believe it. So second point, then recall his kindnesses. 
which as we draw things to a close leads on a final point where we will end our series and and it's not so much from those two verses 42 verse 7 and 8 um, but the third point is this retain our hope retain our hope and we thought lots about this last week and I know that we spent most of our time thinking about hope and the hope that we have but I think we're a people who, who leak hope so easily and so it's right that we end up here we have hope in our hearts but our hearts are like sieves and it just drips out and we forget and so Morden Road I want to urge you as I urge myself to cl keep clinging onto the hope that we have not a hope based on ideas about what we would like or our comfort or living our dreams or everything being easy or life being effortless or we having the perfect job or family or spouse or any of those hopes or even a hope ultimately built on vaccines or a return to normality whatever that means you know, we have a better hope than those things a hope that we must cling to a hope built upon who god is a hope built upon his promises built upon his character, built upon his actions, built upon the fact that the tomb was empty, that Jesus will return and come back. A hope built upon the fact that he is not out of control. He is working out his story. He has got it. He is good. We can keep trusting him. He gives us mercies new every morning. And so those mercies are enough for each day. Hard thing though, isn't it, is it's, it's often hard at ground level. In the day by day mess of our lives, in the groundhog day nature of reality at the moment, where every day feels a bit like the same, we're not quite sure what the date is or the week is or the month is. From ground level, it can be hard to remember the big story. It can be hard to remember all that God is doing and where we fit into the plan. And so remember again from the start, the big picture of these two psalms, so the big picture of these two mirrors the psalms as a whole and they mirror the scriptures as a whole. And so just as the psalms end with 150, a crescendo of praise, we, we know the end of the story, the end of the Bible, it ends with a crescendo of praise, it ends with life, it ends with seeing God face to face, always in his presence. And, and that is the big story. And we must remember to locate ourselves daily within that big story. Because when we forget the big story and where we're going, then we forget who we are and we forget how to live and we forget what matters and we forget what hope we have. And you see in 42 and 43, there's this gradual, hopeful movement towards praise. And it's up and down, but I think you get that. And so in the Psalms, there's a gradual movement towards praise. And it's up and down, but I think we get that. And so in God's story through the scriptures, there's this gradual, hopeful movement towards praise. And it's up and down, and there are hard times, but, but we know where it's going. We know where it ends. Slowly but surely, he's at work. We're not at the end yet. We're not at Psalm 150 yet. We're, we're not at the end of the story yet. Jesus hasn't returned yet. Well, I wonder if we, as we come away from this middle series, there are all kinds of good things we could remember, all kinds of things that I think the Lord has been pressing upon us, at least he has me. The, the need to cry out to him and lament. The reminder that it's okay to do that. That he loves it when we do that. Because that's what relationship is about. Uh, 
the need to talk to ourselves and not necessarily believe our hearts. That's a good thing for us to remember. The need to, even from today, to, to count our daily blessings, the need to sing at night. But I wonder if that call to hope ought to be the main thing for us in this season from these Psalms. One writer said, we are simple people. You can't remember 10 things at once. Invariably, if you could just remember one true thing in the moment of trial, you'd be different. Isn't that right? You could remembering 10 things at once at reacting well in situations because you've got 10 things going on in your head, in your heart. No. Maybe that one thing for us is to remember that we have a certain hope. And so we can praise him and we will praise him. Let's pray now. But we do thank you for these two Psalms. We thank you that, thank you that they are underpinned by your sovereignty. Lord, in the midst of the the mess and the frustration might we remember you are in control and indeed you are at work thank you that we can trust that help us to reflect upon what, what you might be doing in us in this season lord we we thank you for daily kindnesses we confess how easily we forget them how easily we focus on the negatives and don't remember all the good things that you have done and you are doing and you will do. Help us to do that, please, to, to remember kindnesses and to sing in the night when it's dark, when we're anxious, when we're tired. Please, would those truths go into our hearts and change us? And we pray that we would retain our hope. Lord, not a hope in the wrong things, but a hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.